Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. I welcome you this morning and invite you to take your Bibles, your copy of the Word of God, and go with me to the Old Testament to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6, and today we are examining our second um, distinctive, to be known as those who are passionate worshipers. What does that mean? To lift high the name of Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth, which is, I trust, what we have done together this morning that we have gathered today as the people of God in the presence of God. And why have we come? But to worship. That we worship throughout the week, but there's something unique about the Lord's Day. And we gather with brothers and sisters in Christ, and at times we gather with those who are searching for what is true, for what is real, for what is worthy of giving and living their lives for. The common purpose that unites us, that solidifies together, together in the bonds of grace. That we're in the presence of the Lord. We're his people. We have been given his spirit. We saw that this morning, even in the catechism. It's all a gift. Nothing is earned Nothing is deserved for me except punishment and separation from God in a place, Jesus said, created for the devil and his angels, hell. That's what I had coming for me. But God, in his mercy, reached down and made a way for me and made a way for you. And his name is Jesus So we're one in the Spirit. The old song, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. We're one. He's making a people and we are united and we look different. We are different, but we're being conformed to the image of Christ. So now everything in a believer's life has been changed, has been transformed, that now we live for the honor and glory of the one who saved us. We live to magnify not self, but Jesus, because he's our Lord. Are you part of this family? Are you part of the family of the redeemed? Are you part of the ones who have been washed in the blood of the lamb slain for sinners? Then you have a reason to sing. You have a reason to shout. You have a reason to clap. And when we come to worship, worship is not something that everyone does in in uniformity. That as you look around in a congregation, there's not one size fits all, one standard that the only way that you can worship is like them, like the person in front of you or the person behind you, that you are called into the presence of the Lord with the body of believers and you worship as the Spirit of God leads you in spirit according to truth which is very different than just swept away in emotionalism. A mantra, a feeling, an environment, an atmosphere, something worked up by a worship team. No, no. We're to be led to the throne of grace and worship the one who died, was buried, and rose again. And he is the one, the the book of Revelation tells us, who's walking in the midst of the candlesticks, the lampstands. He is the one whose eyes, they burn like fire and he's searching and he is loving his people and he's searching for his own. He is the good shepherd. He's the true shepherd. He's the chief shepherd and he is here. Think about that. 
You can think about the presence of people that you like to be in, that you enjoy, maybe a loved one, maybe a spouse most of the time, maybe it's your children most of the time, and you love to be in their presence. And we are in the presence of the Lord Jesus, and this is all a rehearsal for the day that we will see him as he is. That day is just around the corner. David is a helpful example for us. We looked at Psalm 19 last week, celebrating God's glory. Today we are looking at 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we are celebrating God's presence. God's presence. David is very helpful for us because we can examine his life. We can learn from him when it comes to where do I need to grow as a passionate worshiper of the Lord. The parallel for 2 Samuel chapter 6, it's also recounted for us in 1 Chronicles 13 through 16. That would be about a six-hour sermon, so we'll stick with 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel 6 is where we will be in our study today. Celebrating the presence of the Lord. This is the account where David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. He desires to bring the presence of the Lord back into the center of Israel. If you follow along there in your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ohio, Ohio went, not Ohio, went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of, of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take, of the ark, take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it, 
And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But... Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. This is the word of the living God. This morning, six characteristics of passionate worship that glorifies God. This is true worship. Here we see a true worshiper of the Lord. And where does it begin? Loved ones, it begins here with an intense longing for God's presence. An intense longing for the presence of the Lord. And David, he had the right idea. He led the people of Israel to bring back the Ark of the Covenant. Let's bring it back. Let's return it to where it should be in the central place for worship here in Israel. Let's bring it to the holy city. Let's bring it to Jerusalem. Why is he having to bring this back? If you turn back a full book, go to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 4 is the record of when the ark was lost. Now, there's a lot of mystery surrounding the ark of the covenant. There's been books, there's been movies, you know, about the ark. And you're going to see where some of the foundation of the the mystery about this piece of, of furniture in the tabernacle and ultimately would be in the temple. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, this is where the ark was captured by the Philistines. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up a line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Here's their idea. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. They're treating it like a rabbit's foot. That's why we lost. God isn't with us. So let's bring God here. This is Israel's messed up thinking. So the people, verse 4, sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts who was enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid for they said, a God has come into the camp. Oh no. And they said, woe to us for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. All right, that's death to us. We're going to die. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. They knew the history of Israel. And then a, a general stands up in the Philistine army. And he says, take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated 
And they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And here it is, verse 11. And the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. The rest of the account goes on of what happened and how the ark was lost. But there it was, it was taken. And for about seven months, it was there in the possession of the Philistines. That was an awful day. 1 Samuel 6 is where the ark is returned after the Lord humiliated Dagon in his own temple, in his own house in Ashdod. After tumors came upon the people of Ashdod, they shipped the ark over to Goliath's hometown. How about you guys take that over in Gath? And they said, what are you trying to do to us? And then all of the tumors broke out in Gath and they said, we need to get rid of this. So they put it on a cart, the Philistines did, with oxen, and they had a plan and they said, let's put these, uh, you know, calves, nursing calves, and if they carry this ark over the hill back home, we'll know this is of God, and there was no way we we're ever going to overcome this God in this way. And that's what they did. And there they went, and the ark went over the hill, and the Israelites see it, and here it comes, and they bring it back, but there's... There's something that happens in Israel, and the ark was forgotten. 1 Samuel 7, all the way to our text in 2 Samuel 6, about a hundred years go by. There was a false perception that Israel thought, our God let us down. We brought him into the battle. There's no way we should have lost. Yahweh, is he weak? Has he failed us? They weren't computing at all how have we transgressed against the Lord. How are we guilty of sin? How are we guilty of not trusting the Lord? There were men who died when the ark came back over the hill. There were people who looked upon it. They, they were curious about it. Israelites who knew better. And they were struck down. So they just put the ark out in Kiriath-Jerim, placed it in the house of Abinadab, while 1 Samuel 7, 2 Israel lamented after the Lord. So for them to think about the ark was to think about something painful in their history. It was to think about something that they were looking at wrongly, but it wasn't a good memory. We have dates like that. You think about 9-11. That's not a day of wonderful rejoicing. It's a painful moment that will forever be etched in our history as a nation. For them, that day when their loved ones, their brothers, their sons, their fathers died in battle, then the ark comes back and people die. So they just park it. It just stays out there and Israel just carries on throughout the the rest of Samuel's life, he was a boy when the ark was taken. He's an older man when Saul is anointed. He's an old man when David is anointed. And now David is the one saying, hey, remember the ark? Why haven't we brought back the presence of the Lord? What are we doing? It was taken from Shiloh. Let's bring it back to the city of Jerusalem, to the city of David. And that brings us to 2 Samuel 6. And David says, let's do this. But here's the problem. Yes, there was an intense longing for the presence of the Lord. But loved ones, we must worship the right God in the right way. That's why it's not just passionate worship. You do whatever you want to do. It's in spirit and in truth. It's our worship is a response. It's not trying to endear the Lord to respond to us. We're responding to how good is he? So here I am to worship. That's our responding. Well, David tries and fails. He falls flat on his face. He longs for the presence of the Lord, but he doesn't do God's work and God's will the right way and the Lord brings judgment upon Uzzah, and he dies. That brings us to our second characteristic, and that is authenticity about our sin. 
We have to be real about what's wrong in here. Isn't it easy to talk about what's wrong in the government and what's wrong in the society and what's wrong at your job and what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? But here's the factor, and we think about this. It's in the book that I recommended this week. When you think about the imprecatory Psalms, pray those curses down on what's wrong in here. God, deal with me in your loving kindness and your mercy and eradicate the remaining sin in me. David messed up. It's not a great, it's not a great feeling. It's not a great deal when you're the leader and you blow it. Now, how are you going to respond as a father, as an employer? You respond in arrogance or you respond in humility? Stand behind it? Blame others? Or humbly own it? Realizing the Lord has begun a work in me and he has a, a lot of work yet to do in me. But he will finish what he started in me. There's my anchor of hope. It's Christ. It's not me. The ark was carried improperly and irreverently. This is the problem. It was on a new cart. Well, that's wonderful. You know, somebody came up with the idea. Let's get a new cart. Man, that's great. I'll make the cart. Put a plaque on it. Donated by whoever. But that wasn't what God said. Pulled by oxen. Well, that's how it got here. Yeah, but those are non-believers over there. Those aren't the people of God. They don't have the presence of God. They don't have the law of God. They don't know any better. And the Lord didn't strike them down. The Lord is gracious and merciful. This is a failure on David's part. Exodus 25, verse 12. You shall cast four rings of gold for it, talking about the Ark of the Covenant, and put them on its four feet. Two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. Now in the Hebrew that means put rings, put poles, carry it by them. Man, our pastor is so smart. Verse 15, the poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. Don't ever do it any other way than this. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. My word, my law is going to go in there. And it matters how you handle the word of God. So what do we say? When we get into Bible study, there are many applications of scripture. There are not many interpretations of scripture that are correct. God is the author through men born by the Holy Spirit. He had one intent for the scriptures. Our responsibility is to study and learn and humbly understand what did God say? What did he mean? Settled how do we respond and obey? This is, this is not a living book in the sense of, well, what that means to me, okay. No. What has God said? What did he mean? What does he mean? How do we respond humbly in obedience? Numbers chapter 4. This is who's going to carry this. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary as the camp sets out. So this is the tabernacle, the days of the tabernacle. After that, the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these, but they must not touch the holy things. Or here's what's going to happen. Warning, they'll die. They're not authorized. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. Now, David should have known this, loved ones. He should have known this. He was required by the word of God to write his own personal copy of the law, Deuteronomy 17. 
verse 18, and when he, speaking of the king, so here's Moses foretelling, you will have a king in Israel, but the king is not a king unto himself. He's a king with a schoolmaster who's the prophet, the priest. He doesn't have it all in his own little office. I'm the king I'm sovereign over, no, no, you have someone who is the king of kings over you. And an Israelite king was to always know this. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law. Anybody, when you got in trouble as a kid, had to write sentences? You know, I will not, I will, whatever, right? Here's the king and he can't say, hey, uh, somebody else do this for me. No, no, no. And this law, your copy, king, must be approved by the Levitical priest. And what are you going to do with it? Verse 19, and it shall be with him. And he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Here's the word of God. Write a copy for yourself. Keep it near you. Read it. Meditate on it and obey it. And the Lord is saying, and I'll bless you, and I'll bless your children, and I'll bless your kingdom. Well, David, there's a problem here. So in between verses 1 and 2, and us resetting, somewhere he's gone back to the basics. He said to somebody, bring out the book. Let's hear where we went wrong, and what are we supposed to do right? So Uzzah was killed by God for touching the ark. He had the right motive, but he was disobedient to the word of God. He was irreverent toward the Lord. There was curiosity. There was confusion. And that's down through history about the ark. But that's partly because, as we said, people died. This is not just another object. This is representative of the presence of the Lord. And there is the mercy seat, and it's pointing us to Jesus You cannot, I cannot misrepresent Jesus. I can't say peace be upon him as Islamic people do and dishonor him is not the only way, the truth and the life. It's no honoring, it's dishonoring to him. He is not just one equal to Mary or to saints. He is God and he is to be worshiped. So you can't have him as just a good teacher, a moral leader, a good prophet, an influential person in history. No. C.S. Lewis, he's either liar, lord, or lunatic. He's one of those. And you have to resolve in your mind, who is Jesus? And how am I to respond to him? This is Old Testament. So here David was angry. He was angry with God. He was afraid of God. He was unaware. How can I bring the presence of the Lord here? He gets a full dose of the reality of, I'm still messed up. I'm not all put together. How is the Lord going to be with us? This takes us all the way back to the garden where Adam and Eve, our first parents, they walked in the cool of the day in the presence of the Lord. They could sing the song, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Because they were walking and talking with him. And then Satan entered in the form of a serpent and said, has God said. Just cast doubt on his word, on the clarity of scripture, on the sufficiency of scripture, on the authority of scripture. And some churches have placed a human being over scripture. Let us interpret scripture for you, the common people. No, scripture is over all of us. Has God said And Eve doubted the word of God and was deceived by the devil and disobeyed the Lord. 
And Adam was right there, not loving properly, not shepherding, not leading his wife, and he willingly rebelled against God. It matters. So David, he's got a reality check here. And the honesty of Scripture doesn't portray David as, and so I went back to the palace and I began to pray and I began to fast and I began to seek the Lord. It's, it's leveling with us here. I was angry with God. I was afraid of God. How am I going to live in, in close proximity to this God unless he does, he's going to have to make a way? Well, that points us to the gospel. He's going to have to make a way for sinners, even David. And what's going on out in the middle of all this mess is the Lord is blessing the house of Obed-Edom, all his family. And the word begins to go out. You know we messed up. You know our leader messed up. But have you heard what's going on out there in the middle of all this mess? God's grace is being manifested on the house of Obed-Edom, all of his household. What is that? It's unmerited favor. The Lord didn't know that. Here's David. He's over there. He's angry. He's afraid. But out here is a man who just, the Ark of the Covenant gets parked at his house. Excuse me. Didn't, like, this is like a, a nuclear weapon. You're just parking it in my driveway? You know, a little greenhouse out back, a little tent, a pop-up. But something about Obed-Edom is this man worships and loves Yahweh. And he honors the Lord and he is given the grace that he's not killed. And there he is and he honors the Lord, he loves the Lord, he worships the Lord and the testimony begins to go out. Have you heard what's happening in his house? I'm just wondering this morning, does that testimony go out from any of our homes have you heard their marriage wasn't doing well, but God? Have you heard they were going through difficulty, but God? Have you heard of the blessing of the Lord on this family? Are we that kind of salt and light in our community? I pray that we are because we're passionate worshipers. There's a longing for God's presence. There's an authenticity about our sin. Thirdly, there's an obedience to the word of God. And we see this in verse 12. So now David, he chose to do the will of God, the work of God in God's way. Now we see humility. Now we see obedience. That David humbles himself before the Lord. He sees all that is going on and just in a summary form that he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. First Chronicles, that account is much more detailed of everything happening, that whole procession. David, loved ones, he humbled himself before the Lord. Can I ask you the question this morning? Have you humbled yourself before the God who created all things, including you? Have you come to the place that you've admitted, I am the problem? I'm the sinner. I have offended, I've committed treason against the God who made me. The wages of my sin deserve death, separation from God. David did, he humbled himself. He learned the right way to carry the ark. Loved ones, it's not a good excuse for someone who's been in Christ for years, even decades, to say, well, I don't really know the word of God. Why not? Are you not taking it in? Are you not reading it? Are you not hearing it? Are you not studying it and memorizing it and meditating on it? Why not? What is more important? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And if Jesus used the word in his day of temptation, what strength do we have greater than Jesus apart from his spirit and his word? We don't have it. 
And I fail miserably when I try to stand in my own strength. The arm of flesh, the song says, will fail you. It'll give out, but not the right hand, the arm of the Lord. That his arms are everlasting under me. And if you're in Christ, they're under you and they don't get tired. You ever, all right, we got the new little baby girl on the way. You know, you get the baby and you hold that infant and they grow and then you hold them and you hold them and then someone says, I'll take the baby and then what happens? It's like, <laughs> your arm gets locked. It's like, I can't move my arm. It's stuck. You know what I'm talking about? Our arms, the Lord is preaching it. Your arm's gonna wear out. Your arm isn't strong enough. Your arm's actually kind of weak. I don't care how strong you are. But not his arms. They're the everlasting arms. Oh, may we grow up in the word of God. In the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews, he, he gets after the people who have been following Christ long enough that they should be teaching others, but they're still in preschool. They're still sitting there saying, somebody else teach me. I, I don't know. I don't know where to find it. It's, it's in there somewhere about most everything you talk about. Hebrews 5.12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he, since he is a child. He's just immature. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by, here it is, constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It's a daily discipline. Constantly immersed in the word of God. And this is how our minds are strengthened. This is how we're able to discern right from wrong. But if I'm not in the word, then I'll make those same mistakes that David did. David then led by doing God's will in the way that God prescribed. It changed him. Things were different. If, if you just turn over to 1 Chronicles, to the right in your Bible, we'll just read a, a, a small section out of 1 Chronicles 15, and this is where it tells what was happening here. And I'm just going to start in verse 11. 1 Chronicles 15, verse 11. Then David summoned the priests, Zadok and Abiathar and the Levites, Verse 12, and he said to them, you are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Because, now there's a little shade here that David throws, but it includes him in it. You did not carry it the first time. Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. Do you hear the humility and the truthfulness there? You all should have known better and I should have known better. We messed up. The Lord was just in breaking out against us so let's do it the right way. Verse 15, and the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles. There's the poles. You found the poles. And as Moses had commanded, according to the word of the Lord, it was all there all along. Somebody comes running, I found the poles. We won't die. Put them back in and leave them there. Look at verse 25. So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. And because, who gets the glory here? God helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. They sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen. Uh, that's what, so, so this helps us. It fills in the blanks of what in the world was Michael talking about? 
He was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as also were all the Levites who were carrying the ark and the singers. And Kenaniah, great name, the leader of the music of the singers, little prophetic word there, future worship leader coming out of that family right over there. And David wore a linen ephod. Verse 29, and as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the city of David, there she is again, Michael, this is recorded two places in scripture, the daughter of Saul looked out of the window and saw King David dancing and celebrating and she despised him in her heart. Back to 2 Samuel. David is now, he's learned what is the will of the Lord and he is now doing the will of the Lord and the people are rejoicing, everyone is in their place. That leads to unrestrainable joy. This is a characteristic of passionate worship that glorifies God, unrestrainable joy. You just can't contain it. You just can't help yourself. The song ends and you're like, yes, that was about the one who saved me. I'm in that number. David experienced the joy of the Lord and so he expressed it. He wasn't holding back. He didn't care what anybody thought about him. He was filled with jubilation. Verse 12 tells us in 2 Samuel 6 that he rejoiced with rejoicing. This is just, it's just an outflowing of joy that the presence of the Lord is coming home. All right, you know this joy. Some of my favorite videos are when they bring back somebody from the military and the people that are their family don't know they're in the stadium or at the ball field or at the workplace or whatever. And so there they are and the kid is there, the spouse is there, the parent is there, sibling. And then all of a sudden they move somebody or out of the curtain comes their loved one. I love those videos. And they're like, hello, hello, hello. You're, it's you. We're not on a screen anymore, just on a phone. It's you. I can hug you. And sometimes you see those kids, and they jump, you know, land in their mother's arms, land in their father's arms. And this is David. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. He's filled with jubilation. He is visibly expressing this joy. We see this in verses 14. And in 16, he danced before the Lord with all his might. Now, what did that look like? I don't know. You don't even want me to try. I'll hurt my hips. I'll throw my back out and my neck and everything else. It just won't go good. But David did. He was in much better shape. He was a warrior. And there he is. And he is dancing before the Lord with all his might. He's leaping and dancing, and he's leading the way. I mean, whoa, this, this is intense. It was far more than just ceremonial. The presence of the Lord, you know, is with us. Peace be upon you. Oh, no. He's filled with joy. I know sometimes people might come in our church and they think, well, it's not really what I'm used to, you know? There's like people lift their hands or they clap or like you say amen, you know? It's like, I don't know. It's like scared me, woke me up a little bit. I don't think we're, I don't think we're yet close in whatever was happening here with old King David. I mean, he's getting it done, okay? He was uninhibited in his expression of joy, praise, and worship. And I love that the Lord has added to this congregation people who they're not trying to impress anybody. They don't care what other people think. They simply worship the Lord in their way, in spirit and in truth. David's expression of worship was corporate and it was exuberant. It says in verse 15, so David and all the household of Israel, they, the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound. So he wasn't alone. Now, sometimes that happens, right? Where you're like, hey, man, where's everybody at? Or, okay, you know, I, I don't know. I kind of, you left me out. Where'd everybody go? You just had to add that capo. That was it. And we're right there with you. That's it, right? Like, I was wondering if it was all recorded or live. Well, there you go. Listen, David's out, but so are all the people. And there, it's loud. There's all those instruments and somebody's on a horn or horns. It's loud and they're coming. They're getting the attention of everybody. What's going on? This is passionate worship. 
at its finest. It's a response to the goodness and the glory of God. And let me say it again, loved ones, it's not mindless emotionalism. It's very popular in our day. It's not a repetition of mantras or chants. Just going through, saying the same thing over and over and over again. Now, sometimes there are songs that do repeat, repeat a refrain. That's okay. Because there's a, re, a, a refrain repeated around the throne that is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Okay, so there are some phrases that we repeat because we actually need to remember them more than a little you know, sales jingle. There are some things that we need to remember that worthy, worthy, worthy are you, Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. When does that get old saying that, right? So there's, but it's not checking your mind that you can just go through the motions. They're worshiping and they are lifting high the name of the Lord. This kind of worship is pleasing to the Lord, but sometimes it's strange to other people. Sometimes it's displeasing to those that they don't know Jesus yet. They don't understand who Jesus is and they don't love him yet. And so when they watch and they are part of a worship service, they're looking at his worshipers saying, what are they doing? What's going on here? Why are they singing this way? Why are they lifting their hands? The only time I ever lift my hands is when I was a kid and I said, up. And I needed help. Maybe there's some similarity there. Maybe these people are declaring their dependence on the Lord, saying, Abba, Father in heaven, help me. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. But then the same people will go to a ball game and their, person, you know, their, their team scores. And what are they doing? Whoa! Yeah! High-fiving and there's sometimes not even people there to high-five. They don't care. It's corporate. It's worship. Lifting high the name of Jesus in spirit and in truth. This is pleasing to the Lord. And it leads us to number five unrestrainable joy manifests in, uh, uh, in generosity toward God and others. Something happens. Something happened to David here where he just, he couldn't contain it and he's dancing and he's whirling and he's singing and he's shouting, but he still needs to do something more. So far, this is activity. This is volume. This is words. This is speech, but it's incomplete. He has to give. He's going to give to the Lord and he's going to give to everybody. He's just overwhelmed with joy and generosity. David was generous toward the Lord. His experience had to be expressed. He wasn't just going to just keep it all inside. The joy of the Lord is my strength, you know. It was all inside, but now he has to get it out. He's going to be generous to the Lord. He offered the burnt offering when there are six steps. Now, some of us, all right, dads, we know what this is like, right? Get everybody packed up. We're on the way. Wait a second. We're not even out of the driveway. I forgot something. Oh, are you kidding me? Back it all up. Six steps. And somebody cries out, stop. It's a good time for an offering to the Lord before we go any further. I think there's a sense of fear there. Oh, we're remembering last time. Let's not repeat that again. Lord, if we're going to make this journey from the seventh step till the final step, you're going to have to carry us. And Chronicles tells us it's the Lord that helped him. The Lord helped the priests. If anything good happens from my life, from this ministry, from our lives, do you know who gets the glory, the credit? It's not me. It's the Lord. If anything good and eternal is going to be done that lasts, it's him doing it, not, not us. Verse 17, David provided a place for the ark. He knew where it was going. Prepared a tent. 
He's thinking through these things. He offered burnt offerings and peace offerings in verse 18. This is all vertical. This is all to the Lord. He's generous to the Lord. Has your salvation resulted in you being generous to the work of the Lord, to the Lord himself? If I love the Lord and I'm filled with joy, I'm gonna be generous in my giving. David was. But it wasn't just vertically. David was generous toward the people of the Lord. All the ones the Lord had placed under his care. He started where he was, the corporate celebration, and then he was going home and he had plans. I'm going home to my family. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Like people, the Lord allowed us to accomplish what we've accomplished today. He blessed all of Israel. He used, here's some cakes. Here's some meat. Here's raisins for everybody. I love raisins. He's like, here, raisins. This is a good day. Nobody gave me raisins at church. Maybe they're out in the donuts. I don't know. But he blessed all the people of Israel, men, women. This isn't like, well, here's for your household, a cake of raisins, you know, divide that up. He's giving it to everybody. Somebody's there like, dude, you sure? That's going to be, okay, all right. Now order it up, meat and cakes. We need sandwiches and we need dessert. Bring it. Woo! People are eating. People are celebrating. Then he goes home to his family. In verse 20, and, and maybe, maybe you've experienced something like what David experienced at some time in your life. I mean, this has been all good, better, best up to verse 20. And David gets to his house, and what do you think he's expecting? He's probably expecting his wife to be like, David, what a great day. He might say, you didn't make it. Where were you? But he's not thinking that. He's thinking, I'm coming home to be a blessing to my family. And she meets him with the harshest criticism known to man. She's disgusted at him. The worship that he offered to the Lord, his wife doesn't get it. His wife doesn't understand it. His wife is in another complete different zip code spiritually. She looks at him and she hasn't seen anything about his God, anything about his people, anything about his, his goodness. She has no joy. The more joy that David has, the more that she has hatred for David. She despised him. He's met with criticism. He's met with disgust. He's met with rebuke by the one that you would think, you would think would be his biggest supporter. And I know through life and ministry, there are many individuals, often at times in marriage, and spouses are not on the same page spiritually. Listen to me. Don't forget this account. Maybe it's the wife that is just loving God, wanting to serve the Lord. It's just filled with joy, and the husband is just dragging anchor. What? We gave last year. What? We went to church last month. Why are you always on me? Maybe it's a husband who's just in love with the Lord, wants to serve the Lord, and, and Michael is just, just dragging anchor. Let, let the Holy Spirit reveal, like, where are we? Are, can we not encourage one another? And to be in a relationship where both individuals, husband, wife, parents, children are saying, oh, we love the Lord and we delight to do his will and we rejoice and we're filled with unrestrainable joy and oh, we want to be a blessing to everybody. Now that, oh, the Lord gives us that and that encouragement happens even in the family of God. And if you have someone in your family, maybe a child, maybe it's a spouse or a sibling or a parent, and they're not cheering you on for God, do not give up on them. 
Now, there's something going on here in this passage. It leads us to our last characteristic, and that is not just generous toward God and others, but what happens when you get conflict and criticism? There's no fear of man's opinions. David here prioritized the Lord over and above everything and everyone else. He said, God is greater. Now, we have to understand something. David was married to the daughter of his predecessor, Michael. Saul was the first king of Israel. David was the second king. They're not of the same family. Jonathan, the the son of Saul, gave David, you're the anointed of the Lord. Jonathan dies, but David is married to Michael. Old Testament, Saul can be even pictured as anti-Christ. Yes, he's a king of Israel, but he's not like David, a man after God's own heart. So now you have in this marriage, you have a mixture within the same tribe, the same, not the same tribe, but Israelites. One is of Judah, one is of Benjamin, but they're the people of God. So that marriage was okay, but there's conflict of interest there. David's seed is going to be Messiah. Saul's seed is going nowhere. And so in this moment, David loves the Lord. He's worshiping before the Lord. He doesn't fear man's opinions. He wasn't worshiping his wife, Michael. He was worshiping the Lord. So his offer, this true worship, if we're going to learn from David, is offered before the Lord. It's God-centered worship. So he didn't have anything to apologize. He had nothing to say to Michael, oh, I'm so sorry, I made you look bad. No, he didn't care. He didn't care about that. He could have said, you know, my worship wasn't for you. He said, my worship was before the Lord. It's said this way, you know, when we're worshiping, we're led, and I'm thankful for the worship team that week after week leads us in worship, but they're not performing. You're not the audience. We have an audience of one. It's the Lord. So that's why we offer him, uh, Stephen often says this, excellence, not perfection. Excellence, my best. And when things don't work or pop or crack or whatever, we offer to the Lord our best, knowing that he loves us when we fall flat on our face sometimes. That's okay. And you, let me just tell you this, as a people, as your pastor, I feel it and I experience, even when I'm watching online and someone else is preaching, I, I receive the grace that you give when mistakes happen. It's, it's absolutely encouraging to the core that you love the word of God and the one bringing you the word, and you relieve tension that can be preoccupied with what people think, and, and you, you bless the servant of God in that way, that you, you give liberty to the, to the one preaching and to the spirit of God, and I thank you for that. Michael's complaint here, it reveals, it reveals the problem within Michael. It's her issue. She doesn't love the Lord the way David does. She's still a daughter of her father first. There's jealousy. There's, there's all kinds of things wrong. There. And so then God pulls the curtain back and he says, there will be no descendant for you. There will be no rival to my anointed one. Think about that. There will be no rival to my anointed one. Not through you, Michael. True worship is offered before the Lord. True worship is trusting in the Lord. It's trusting in God. The position that we have, and that's what David says to Michael, tough words he had to say to her. The Lord rejected your father. Your dad got the boot. And the Lord chose me, and I wasn't trying to get there. I was out in the hillside, and he came for me. And I'm here because of him. I'm not here because of you. Anything good that's happened from a giant falling to me having a kingdom, it's all been the Lord. And you don't get it. It's 
trusting in the Lord. And David is just, this is a difficult conversation that happens, but it's a, it's a refining conversation that develops his metal, his spiritual metal inside, that you will stand for the Lord no matter what. True worship will be intentional. And so David replies to her, you shouldn't have done that. You were disgusting. You were, you were out there. You were just you, you running around half naked. And he says, let me tell you something. I will celebrate before the Lord. Oh, I want us to embrace this as a people. I just take this verse. And when you're coming to worship corporately, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will celebrate before the Lord today and every day. But there's something unique about gathering with the people of God. And true worship, loved ones, seeks to magnify the Lord. And so here's what David does. David says, listen, you had a problem with me that I was too, uh, you know, debased in your sight. I wasn't acting kingly enough. I ruined your reputation. Let me tell you something. I will be even more abased. He must increase. John the Baptist said, I will decrease. It's the same comment. I will be even more undignified in this because here's the point, Michael and everyone else. He is worthy. I'm unworthy. And so I will will put myself down more. You know how hard that is to do? To say, I'm sorry you were right. Please forgive me. David says, oh no. Before the Lord, I'll go as low as I can go because he's worthy. He must increase and I must decrease. So if we are to take this and pray this, what does this sound like, Lord? If we're gonna worship you passionately and lift high the name of Jesus, then this is my prayer for myself, my family, and us as a people. We you, you stand, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come. This is what I pray will be our prayer. Is God give us an intense longing for your presence. Lord, enable us to live in authenticity about our sin before you and with others. Help us to be obedient to your word and that we know brings about unrestrainable joy in our lives so then we can exhibit radical generosity toward you and to all who are around us and we will live with no fear of man's opinions because we fear you most. Amen? Now, As we're standing, it's appropriate for this. Before we sing this closing song, I want to read, and it's a form of prayer, when David put the ark in the tent. First Chronicles 16, this is what he, this is his song of thanksgiving. Out of this comes Psalms, okay? But it's all concise here. Listen to what he says. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, 
his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When you were a few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord. Now look what he does. It goes beyond Israel. All the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. What are we to declare his marvelous works among the peoples? That's all the people groups. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world. It's established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his good. His steadfast love endures how long? Say also, Save us, O God, of our salvation and gather and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And then all the people join me now said, Amen and praised the Lord. Let's praise him. Let's worship him together. This is our God. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.